Turn to the book of Acts, if you will. Let's continue on. We don't have an awful lot of time, but we got a little bit of time today. Let me hit you with a statement while you're turning to the book of Acts in the New Testament. A statement is this, that how many times do we take for granted the freedoms that we have and not realize how blessed we are until those freedoms are tampered with or altered? Are you with me? As Americans, we've been really blessed. And a lot of times, how many times do we take for granted what God has blessed us with here as a nation, the freedoms that we have, and we don't really understand or comprehend the significance of our freedoms until somewhere down the line those freedoms are tampered with or altered at some point in time. Are you with me? Freedoms tampered with, altered. And we don't complain or fuss until all of a sudden something happens and something's taken away from us that we feel like we deserve or we should have. But we live in a blessed nation. We have the opportunity to worship God, yet how many times do we take worshiping God for granted when one day that freedom that we have may be removed from us? Let's talk about the early church. As we've walked through, as we have been walking through the book of Acts, one of the things that we have said uh, as we have walked through this is that the early church wasn't based off of a, a doctrine. It wasn't based uh, or centered around a building. Uh, it wasn't an institution, but it was a movement. And it was a movement that was centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus was the Messiah that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected on the third day. And we've held on to that as we've, as we've been walking through. And we've also said, you know, how was it that the early church, that the message of the early church, the believers, the followers of Christ, has made it up until this time? It's pretty amazing. Understanding all of the, all of the, uh, the issues that the early believers faced, the persecutions that they faced, but here it was, this group of believers that had assembled in an upper room, the Holy Spirit comes, and all of a sudden, in a matter of, of, of just hours, there were 3,000 believers there within that city that were baptized. And not very long after that, there were more than 5,000 men and women and children. And so within a short amount of time, you've got a tremendous amount of chaos that's taking place in that city of Jerusalem, where all of a sudden... You've got this new group of people, of believers, that are beginning to assemble and beginning to grow. And it caused conflict between the peace that, that it existed there between the Romans and the Jews, or we should say, that should have existed. And that all took place here because of Jesus and the resurrection. See, the growth in the, of the believers wasn't necessarily popular. As a matter of fact, it caused a lot of complications between the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders. Each one of them had their own little area, and each one of them had their own responsibilities of how they were supposed to keep balance. But here, because of the crucifixion of Jesus, there was a tremendous strain that was put in the area at that time. The Romans, because they were the ones that crucified Jesus. 
And here was Jesus spoke out against the Jewish leaders, so where there was a stress there in that area. But now it just wasn't Jesus and a few little believers. Now it was Jesus plus thousands that now were following this Messiah that was resurrected from the dead. And if you remember last week, we talked about how these believers, they had prayed, and they prayed that in the midst of the persecution that they would be bold. And not only bold, but there would be signs and wonders of God's miracles that would take place. And they prayed, and that's exactly what they did. They became very bold in their witness, and there were many signs and wonders. People, there, were, there were people that were healed. And at the end of that, they brought them back in, they arrested them, and instead of killing them, they decided that they would flog them. And at the end of the flogging, I mean, I'm not talking about just, okay, well, you know, have a great day. I mean, to the point of death. And it said at the end of that, in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus was the Messiah. So after the floggings and after the persecutions, they didn't seclude themselves and go and hide in a room but they were very visible, and they were very vocal about their faith. And the Bible says that they continued to grow. Now, in the midst of all this growth, there was a guy by the name of Stephen. If you go back and you look, you read a little bit about Stephen, because as the growth took place, so did the need for new leaders. And Stephen, we really don't know an awful lot about him, except that he was a servant leader, and that he was very vocal about his faith. Well, guess what happened? Because he was vocal about his faith, he was drugged in, he was arrested, and he was put on trial. And they hired people to testify against him. They hired people to testify against him. That sounds sort of familiar if you know the story of Jesus. So they hired these people to testify, and then, in, and then James had the opportunity to, to testify of what he knew to be true. And because they were, they were Jewish, he went all the way back there. And in, and in Acts chapter 7, probably one of the longest messages that we find in the Bible, what James does is he starts all the way at the beginning and he comes all the way up to the current time to explain to them how he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And at the end of that defense, they were so angry with him. Do you know what they did? They took him and drug him outside and they stoned him to death. They stoned him. And then the Bible says that the persecution began to spread very rapidly. And so we pick the story up here in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, with a character by the name of Saul that it would eventually become a man by the name of Paul. And let's read this today together as we, as we begin this and we look at Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and this is what the scripture reads. Saul was one of the witnesses to what had taken place with Stephen, and he agreed complete with the killing of Stephen. So he just wasn't there, but he agreed with what had happened in Stephen's life. And he goes on to say, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles, all of them were scattered through regions of Judea, and Samaria. Now this sort of goes along with what Jesus had said, that when the Holy Spirit come, that you would be my witnesses in where Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So here, that prophecy is being fulfilled because as the persecution came, the believers were scattered out into the, 
into the areas around. And it was a tremendous amount of intense persecution. And it goes on to say, Some devout men came and buried Stephen with a great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Now, was he destroying a building? No. Who was he destroying? The people. The people of the church. The people, the followers of Christ. And he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. All the time, Saul believing that he was following God, that he was in God's will, and he wanted to put an end to the foolishness. And Luke says that the persecution continued on, and and during this time, some were punished, and some were put in chains, and some were put in jail, but many were killed, and they were scattered. And wherever they ended up, guess what they talked about? They talked about the gospel. They talked about the fact that Jesus Christ had died for their sins. They talked about that he had been buried and yet he had been raised on the third day and that many had seen them. And I want you to hear this. Wherever they went, they took the gospel with them. Do you ever take the gospel with you when you go to work? Do you take the gospel message with you when you go to the ball field? Do you take the gospel message when you go to that business meeting? Do you take the gospel message as you go out into the place? Because that is what made the difference. They took the gospel message wherever they went. They took that message with them. And it goes on to say in chapter 9 verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So we went to the high priest and he requested letters addressing to address the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any follower of the way. The way. The followers of the way, they hadn't yet been known as Christians. They were known as followers of the way. If you remember what Jesus had said, Jesus had said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus had said that I am the way, and so they were known as, many theologians believe that that is where this name, the way, came from, from the way. And he goes on to say, he wanted to bring there in verse 2, both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. And so he had a reason for going to Damascus. His reason for going to Damascus is he wanted to be able to arrest anyone that were followers of the way. So he had asked for this letter in advance to give him the privilege to arrest them to drag them back to Jerusalem to be tried. And he goes on to say there in verse 3, but as he was approaching Damascus, as he's getting ready to carry out this deed, he said a light from heaven suddenly shone shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who is me? I mean, I, me? Who is it? I'm not persecuting me. In verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul said. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. See, Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was going out to persecute the followers of Jesus. And here Jesus is saying, you are persecuting me. Not only my representatives, not only my agents, not only my mouthpiece, but collectively, if you, are, if you are persecuting them, you're persecuting me. And he gets up and he says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you 
must do. So here is Saul, having been blinded by the light, can't see. Some of the guys that have gone with him have now, have now taken him by the arms, and they begin to lead him into Damascus. And for three days, he sits there in that place, not being able to see, probably crying out and saying, what in the world is going on? Somebody help me. Meanwhile, there was another guy in Damascus whose name was Ananias. I want you to skip down to verse 10. And it says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street. Now we've got Berkman Street, and we've got Smith Street, and we've got whatever street it may be. It's named Straight Street. I would assume it was named Straight Street because it was probably a straight street I don't know but it said go over to straight street to the house of Judas and when you get there ask for a man named from Tarsus named Saul <laughs> listen this is sort of funny he is praying to me right now I mean what do we do when we get in times of difficulty Lord will you help me I need you Lord do you hear me calling you Lord are you there I'm shaking the stick. He's praying to me right now. But Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. Lord, are you sure? And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said... Take note of this. Go, for Saul is my chosen, you might want to underline that word, chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Not just to take my message to the Israelites, but to take my message to the kings, to the Gentiles, to everyone. Not just for those that live in that area, but everyone it was for the whole world. And God would take the most unlikely candidate and eventually would do one of the greatest of all works. You remember the other day we were talking about miracles? And a lot of times we talk about healings. Let me tell you again, I reemphasize this. One of the greatest miracles is when somebody comes to recognize their sin and turn to Jesus. That's one of the greatest of all miracles. Because you go from life, from death to life. Are you with me? When there's a miracle, when somebody realizes that they're dead in sin, and they repent and they turn to Jesus, you're talking about death to life. And that was what was happening here. And he tells Ananias, go for Saul, my chosen instrument, to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Now, if you turn over to Acts chapter 20, verse 23, after Acts 20, 23, you'll see where, where the Holy Spirit, that as Paul would go into places, the Holy Spirit would speak to him and tell him what kind of sufferings that he might endure in that place. So here's Paul going into a specific place, and the Holy Spirit would, would say to him, Paul, I just want you to understand, this is what you're going to experience. Don't be afraid. 
So off goes Ananias to find Saul. And I can imagine what he might have thought as he was standing outside the door, getting ready to knock on the door to go in to where Saul sit, thinking, I must be crazy. I must have lost my mind. This is the guy that's been out there persecuting believers. This is the guy that's on the outside that, man, that he might just kill me. But Lord, this is what you said do, so I want to be obedient. So he knocks on the door, he goes in, and there's Saul sitting blinded and sitting in that chair. And Ananias takes his hands and he lays them on him. And the Bible says that something like scales fell off of his eyes. And he was able to see. And at that time, the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was baptized. And they prayed. And God gave Ananias the specific, unique opportunity of being part of that time. Because God had prepared Saul to do a great work. And Ananias was part of it. And it just wasn't about reaching people within that area, but it was about reaching people around the world. And the scripture goes on to say there in in, uh, chapter 9, verse 19 and 20, Afterward they ate some food and he regained his strength and Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. And you know what he said? Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. And all who heard him were amazed. And they said, Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked him, Didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? I mean, that was the letter. That was the intent of his visit. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now we know that Paul now is what he's being called, stayed within that area for a period of time, and you would see him and then you wouldn't have seen him. And he was studied and he spent time with the Jesus followers. And in the book of Galatians, we see that Paul during this time spent a couple of a couple of weeks with Peter, hearing the stories, absorbing the teachings of Jesus, and that he also spent time with James, the brother of Jesus. And then the Bible talks about a time when Paul launched out for some 10 or 12 years, and he he went around that Mediterranean rim preaching and teaching. And the Bible says that he would stop at certain cities, and and he would plant churches. In those 10 or 12 years, probably most of his travels happened by ship, And as they would come to a shore, he would get out and he would, first of all, he would go to the synagogues and he would preach to the Jews and he would tell them that the Messiah had come. Some would believe and some would not. And for those that many times he would be thrown out and he might have been beaten or persecuted and he would dust himself off and he would get back up and then he would head out to speak to the Gentiles and he would share with them the good news that God had sent his son to die for the world and that they could be saved. And they could have eternal life. And then Paul was arrested and he was taken back to Jerusalem. And it was there in Jerusalem that he ended up going up into Caesarea for two years. And he spent time in jail. And then he he said, listen guys, I'm a Roman. And he said, take me to Rome because I want to spend time before the emperor. I want to be able to plead my case before him. So he goes from Jerusalem all the way up to Rome. And there he's put in prison again in house arrest. And it was there we find some of the letters that we are maybe so familiar with in the New Testament, like the book of Ephesians or the book of of Philippians. And he wrote Paul, most of you know that Paul wrote probably some two-thirds of the New Testament. And he established many churches. 
And after two years in Rome, he was released, but then he was rearrested again. Again, in, in about 66 AD, in the, and we find out for about a year and a half, he spent time in a dungeon, and this time it was under the control of Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, you know that he did not like Christians. And then, in 67, probably in the morning time, there were some guards that came, and they took him. And they took him outside the city. And it didn't take long for Paul to realize where he was headed. He knew they were going to kill him. And there that morning time, outside the city, with no ceremony and no witnesses, they executed Paul. They killed him. They beheaded him. His life was ended, but not his ministry. Because the teachings and because of his message that he had given, continued to spread. What message will be spread at the end of your life? I mean, Troy, when you're dead, what are people going to talk about? Elliot, when you're dead, what will happen? Ted? Bart? Charlie? Danny? Stephen? Conrad? Jay? I mean, think about that. When we're dead, what will end up happening? Will we just be dead and gone? Or will the message that we have preached continue on so that others may come to know Christ? Paul's death did not end his ministry impact. And we learn that the persecution in Jerusalem continued, yet the ministry in the Mediterranean realm continued to grow and thrive. And in the book of Corinthians, Paul gives us an outline of the message of the gospel. And I wanted to be able to share that with you today. And he describes very clearly for us the message that he preached. And he said, this was the message that was of most importance. So turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to just give you in a brief synopsis. And as we begin to finish and close out today, the synopsis of what Paul said was most important. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these are the words of Paul. Let me remind you, he's writing back to the church at Corinth that he had a relationship with. Dear brothers and sisters, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. Skip down to verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important. That was partial, that was a piece, but this is what's most important. And what also had been passed on to me. See, there's a lot of things that you can get caught up, but don't bypass this, which is most important. And he says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have died. 
See, as Paul toured and as he, as he made his way, Paul came in contact with people that had saw, that, that were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes on to say, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And Paul said, Paul's talking to the believers some 20, 30 years after the resurrection, after this event took place. And he said, guys, listen, I know this is hard for you to grasp. I know this is hard for you to understand. But Jesus just wasn't seen by one person or two people or the apostles. But Jesus was seen by multitudes, a bunch of people. And they saw him alive. And if you don't believe me, why don't you pick yourself up, jump on the donkey, and why don't you go to Jerusalem, and why don't you interview some of the people? And you'll find the exact same story that I found out, because he is alive. And then he goes on to say this in verse 7. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Where? on that road to Damascus. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way. I persecuted the church. Paul's saying, listen, man, I, don't even be, I shouldn't even be a part of this group of people. If you knew my past, if you knew where I'd been, if you knew what I'd done, there would be no hope for me. It's only by God's grace that He's allowed me to experience what I've experienced. And see, there's some of you that here today that say, see, you just don't know what I've done. There's no way that God could love me. There's no way that I could be part of God's family because of my past. I can never work my way out of it. You don't have to work your way out of it. It's by God's grace. And even though you don't deserve it, it's freely given. Larry, freely given. Grace. Explain it. I can't explain it. I can't explain it to you. See, I'm always of this opinion. You wrong me, I'll wrong you back. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Grace. We didn't deserve it. But it was given. Paul said, the Holy Spirit did something in me so that He could do something through me. Paul took the message to the people that did not understand the Old Testament. Those that weren't raised looking for the Messiah. Those that didn't know the Scriptures well. And what Paul did is he, he sort of gave us a bottom line. He gave us a foundation for those that didn't know. But he said, these are things that as a believer you cannot ignore. And here it is in simple statements. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. And He appeared again. And that was Paul's message. Jesus, he died, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared. Can you say that with me? That's the gospel. Jesus died, say that with me. Jesus died, he was buried, and he appeared. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. And He appeared. And you know what? You can get hung up on the book of Revelation. And you can get hung up on dinosaurs. And you can get hung up on all this other stuff that's in the Scriptures. But Paul said, this is what's of most importance. And I know there are questions. And I know there are distractions. But Paul would say, listen, 
Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. And he appeared. And that's the starting point. All the other stuff you can pick up as you go along the line. But that's the foundation of the gospel. That's the foundation of our faith. That's the beginning. And see, when I came to Christ, it wasn't because somebody proved to me that the book of Revelation was real. It wasn't because they found out and they shared with me, well, this is where dinosaurs came from. I was sitting in the middle of a service and somebody came to me and said, Jesus died for your sins. And it hit me. Jesus died for my sins. That He was crucified for me. That He was buried for me. That He was raised from the dead. And that He appeared. And because of that, I could have eternal life. It wasn't because I had it all figured out. But there was an aching in my heart. And it started with the gospel. Did Jesus die for your sins? Was he buried? Was he raised from the dead? Was he seen? That's the foundation. And the question today is ever, have you ever embraced that message personally? Or are you just trying to figure out all this other stuff? Can I tell you something? You ain't going to get it figured out, guys. The basis of our faith, Jesus died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and he appeared. For those of us that are believers today, it's a great time for you to give thanks, to be reminded of what Jesus did great time to give thanks great time to give thanks and say Jesus thank you maybe you're here today and you just want to stand right up there where you are and you just say I just want to say thank you to Jesus for saving me anybody anybody bold enough to stand up in the middle of a service when everybody's sort of sitting down and say I just want to say thank you I want to say thank you that Jesus saved my life I want to say thank you. I want people to know I'm thankful what Jesus has done in my life. I'm thankful. This is all we have, that we're all just a few people that are thankful for being saved. Ah, don't sit down, stand up and say, I'm thankful. In the middle of the crowd, you can be seated. It's easy to stand in the middle of the crowd, but what, what about when we're all alone and we're the only ones there? You can sit. What about when we're the only ones that there's nobody else around and we're the only believer? Are we willing to stand up and say, I'm thankful? And are we willing to share the testimony as Paul and these other believers? Because that's how we got the gospel. Is because they were bold in their faith. For those of us that are believers, we need to be bold and we need to be thankful. For those of us that are here that are not believers, it begins with understanding the gospel that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he appeared.
That's the starting point of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to give you that opportunity to receive him and trust him today. Would you bow your heads with me? Where our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed today, there may be people that are here that have never trusted Christ. They've tried to get it all figured out and trying to work their way to understand it all. But today, Paul has made it very, cl very clear that the gospel begins with an understanding that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and he appeared. And if there's someone here today that says, today I want to be a Christ follower, would you raise your hand right where you are? I've never trusted Christ. Anybody else? I Today I want to trust Christ. I want to follow him. I want to pray for you, and at the end of the service, I want you to come if you can, and I'd love to be able to, to share with you with a couple of overseers about how, how you can continue to, to grow in that relationship with Christ. For those of us that are believers, right there where you are, would you just cry out to God and say, thank you in the silence of your own heart. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Father, thank you for the gospel because it is the gospel that gives us direction. It is the gospel that saves us. Paul made it very clear and said it was of most importance. And for those that are here today that are saying, I want to follow Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts. And at this time, in the midst of this decision, what they, that they might even mention to you, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, today, I want to trust you. I want this to be the starting point of my life. Help me. And if you prayed that this morning, I'm going to be standing here at the end of this service. You come and you see me. Because I'd love to be able to tell you about how to take that next step as you begin this new journey in your faith. This even might even be a prayer that you want to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for revealing that I'm a sinner. Thank you for today for realizing that the truth of you died for me. That you were buried for me. And that you were resurrected. That I don't have to stay in sin. But Father, I can live in freedom. Thank you for the appearance that you made to the multitudes. Father, that I can have hope and faith. Father, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray that we would be your representatives, that we would be Jesus with flesh on as we go out into our communities. And Lord, that as we go, just as those early believers, that we would take the gospel with us and that others would see Christ in us. May we have an impact in our community, not by what happens here on Sunday morning, but what happens the other six days of the week. Use us, Father to be your light. In Jesus' name we pray.